Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith by thinking biblically. It's the same way Jesus did it. I have my special guest back with me again today for a second episode, Krista Bontrager. Krista is a fourth-generation Bible teacher, an author, podcaster, former university professor, and homeschool mom. She has a BA in communications from Biola University and an MA in theology, an MA in Bible exposition from Talbot School of Theology. Krista runs a popular blog called Theology Mom, and along with Monique Dusan, she co-founded the Center for Biblical Unity to provide a place for respectful and biblically faithful discussions about racial unity and justice. Krista, welcome back. Glad to be here again with you, Roy. Well, last time we painted the picture of the background of how the Center for Biblical Unity came about. It came about from some very difficult circumstances in Monique's life and how you were kind of there to care for her and to counsel her and comfort her and also have just a bunch of discussions and walk kind of doing life together. And out of that, you realized that you disagreed on a lot of things. <laughs> and, disagreed <Definitely>. on <laughs> and one of those things, topic of race. As you guys found unity, as you found clarity, and as you found truth, you said, hey, let's you know share this experience with others. You described some of the basic tenets of critical race theory, and that was very helpful. What I'd like to do is kind of explore why you think so many Christians and churches are swallowing something that in one sense is incoherent. You know, they make a basic assumption that race is just a social construct, but then they kind of contradict themselves and say, and it's so important, it's kind of part of your identity. So not only is it incoherent, it's just flatly, obviously anti-biblical. Yeah, I think that a lot of it comes from the fact that it uses words like justice and mm. love and looking at people who are at the margins of society. These are all things that the Bible speaks to. Even the idea of unity. These are themes that are deeply important to Christians, to informed Christians that mm. have read their Bibles and know about their faith, that we ought to be people of compassion and mm. caring for the poor and writing injustices. And so when a framework comes along that mm. kind of sort of sounds like mm. Christian-y, right. you know, <laughs> and I think that part of the problem is that we have higher levels of biblical illiteracy mm, than right. we've had in a very long time, right. combined with a framework that borrows a lot of terminology from mm. the Christian worldview. So you have young people that have grown up in the church thinking and hearing, God loves everyone. He accepts everyone just the way you are. Mm. And then they hear in the culture, become an ally, affirm all people, affirm mm their truth. Mm. That sort of sounds similar enough 
that it's easy to get hijacked mm. and to think that I am actually living out my faith, the faith that I've heard preached in the churches that I've right. grown up in, I'm living it out and I'm using this framework to disciple me on how to do it. It provides a praxis, mm. a practical way of living out these Christian ideals of compassion and justice and love. Wow. And so I mm. think that there's a particular vulnerability of mm. people under the age of 35 or so that have grown up in the church. They hear these words and they think, well, I want to be for that. And I do see critical race theory as a gospel competitor. It defines a sin problem. It defines a plan of salvation. It tells you how to be holy. It wow. gives you the right books to read wow. to find truth. I think that was something that I initially struggled with. You know, what's the draw? Like, wh why would people want this? And from what you just described, they think they're being better Christians. Oh, they, absolutely. Oh, wow. So they, they're like, I'm obeying God <laughs> by doing I'm loving, my I'm loving my neighbor. He loves everyone. He affirms everyone. I affirm everyone. Right. I am a better disciple than you, Roy, who is just a hypocritical, judgmental, pharisaical right. Christian. I'm exemplifying the real wow. Jesus. Wow. Wow. I like how you emphasize the action orientation of it. It gives something people to do. This generation of young people, they want to make a difference in the world. And that's wonderful. Yes. It was just, we got to funnel that. We got to yes. disciple that in the right direction. <laughs> well, let me give you just one example. The culture tells us, all right, how do I be a good social justice person? How do I be an ally? Yeah. Well, first of all, I read particular books. I get informed. I educate myself. I read these books. Wow. Mm -hmm. and, and then what I do is I inform my parents or people who are older than me, you know, hey, you don't actually really care about justice. You know, oh. you need to mm -hmm. do these things. Mm -hmm. And if you're really going to obey Jesus, it needs to look like being an ally to advocating for reproductive justice, mm. which is really a euphemism for abortion. But we recast everything right now as a justice issue. You right. need to be an ally for marriage equality, which right. is a euphemism for promoting gay marriage. Right. And so it is what I call the new legalism. And then on the other side, what does God's law say? God's law is mm. so much simpler and easier and harder at the same time. Like it's easy to read a book. Jesus's law says I must forgive my enemy. Hmm. What? No, right. critical race theory says I must stand in my grievances. I must right. convince you to come around to my grievances and mm. you must apologize. I must almost engage in a form of emotional extortion to get you right. to apologize to me. Whereas Jesus's law says, I forgive this person. I'm mm. generous with my forgiveness. That mm. is much harder than standing in my grievances. Sure. God's law says that I don't separate the body of Christ according to race. Mm. I see the world through the lens of if you're my brother and my sister in Christ, no matter what ethnicity or culture or language you speak, there is something foundational 
that unifies us and that we can mm. proceed from doing life from that place. Mm. That is a very different ethic or mm. standard of holiness than mm. what the culture says is, no, I divide everybody according to oppressed and oppressor categories, mm. and I treat you accordingly to mm. what category you are in. Mm. And so the social justice Pharisees mm. have an entirely new legal code or holiness code for mm. how we are to live out a holy and good life. Wow. And in many cases, <laughs> it is very different than the, the commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus right. Christ. Do you think this counterfeit, this sort of copying of language and constructs and ideas and frameworks in the Christian faith, do you think that counterfeiting was intentional? I've got a couple of theories about that. I think that for Christians, we have been conditioned through our church attendance to tune into certain themes, sure. like justice, love, compassion, yeah. these sorts yeah. of things. Yeah. So I think it makes us particularly vulnerable when there's a framework that comes along mm. and uses these same words. Mm. I also have wondered, and I think that there are aspects of when I was talking to Monique, my ministry partner, when she was steeped in critical race theory, that I said, you're just borrowing from my worldview. Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, you have an idea about yeah. human equality, yeah. Yeah. that all humans are equal. Yeah. You don't have a rational foundation for right, that, though. Right, I said, right. I do. As a Christian, right. I can tell sure. you, here's why all humans are equal. It's because they're all created in the image of God. I said, what's your rationale? She did not have an answer to that. But she would immediately just intuitively go to Christianity right. because she right. had enough church training that right. she said, yeah, that, that, that's, that's why I believe in human dignity. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You cannot <laughs> borrow from the Christian worldview selectively. Right. Now, right. if we're going to talk about justice, I'm down. We could talk right. about justice. Right. But you have to understand justice comes from the throne of God. Mm. And so if we're going to have a conversation about justice, we're going to define it biblically. Mm. We're not going to define Good. it by the culture. And what mm. the culture is telling me is uh, justice is. Mm. So I think that there's a bit of a bait and switch that right. they just kind of glom onto those ideas right. and bring it in. Well, it's fascinating how you gave us this list. Get informed. And then once you're informed, inform the people you love. And I'm thinking that would be a great checklist for a Christian to do with the Bible. Like, read your Bible, <laughs> you know? It is a gospel competitor. Yeah. It's an evangelism strategy. It wow. has a, a holiness code. It has holy books where the authoritative wow. the authoritative yeah. words are. We don't question them, you know? Ibrahim uh, wow. X. Kendi is our great high priest who tells us right. how to be holy when it right. comes to race. Right. Wow. And what a strategy that has worked for millennia, you know, Satan copies God. And if he copies it 99%, that's like the best lie strategy, you know, is to use something that is God and just twist a little piece of it. And that's a strategy that's continued to work across cultures, across generations. Wow. Fascinating, but absolutely 
terrifying. <laughs> you talked also about biblical illiteracy. You know, some of the things that have made us vulnerable. We don't know our Bibles. And maybe we as the church haven't done a good job serving the poor and being compassionate. Mm-hmm. And now that's left the door open for this counterfeit gospel competition to come in and say, well, if the church isn't going to help people, here's another solution. That was certainly true for Monique. For her, justice and helping the poor was in her DNA as a child. Like all of her pretend friends when she was little were orphans. Her dream (laughs) was to open an orphanage in Africa. That was her dream. And so God just put in her DNA a bent and an orientation toward justice, but she right. couldn't have those discussions in the church. Every person she tried to talk to about justice issues in her church, they'd be like, that's leftism, that's liberalism, that has nothing to do with us. And so oh. when she went to Biola, finally she saw people and could have conversations of with Christian people who are oriented toward justice. So wow. what was the framework that they gave her to understand it? It was critical race theory. It was the critical wow. social theories. Her emotions just immediately sure. were magnetized and drawn yeah. to that because wow. here was some Christians finally talking about justice. They had a framework. They had all the words. They had all the books. Wow. And So she just said, here, finally, this is what I've been looking for. And she put her all into that. She spent two decades in social service serving impoverished communities with that framework in mind. Wow. Wow. I I love how you traced it back to the root cause and the root problem in that scenario you just said. When she went to her church or, you know, Christians around her or whatever, and said, hey, I have this heart compassion for justice. This is a God thing, right? They should have said, absolutely. <laughs> here's the Bible. This is what God has always been about. And here's the truth, a true structure around how you can serve in that capacity. What a travesty that it was the church that failed her at that time to give her the right you know, way to think about this, the right worldview, the right critical thinking and outlets for her passion. The church is imperfect, but I feel like so many times we're going back and trying to fix things. And maybe it was done out of good intentions, but the church has not been helpful to our young people in teaching them to think accurately and consistently and biblically about these, like you said, these passions in their heart that God has given them. What are some of the practical things that that you guys are doing at the Center for Biblical Unity or in your own family or, you know, Bible studies that you're a part of or whatever? How are you trying to equip, especially young people today, to deal with the biblical illiteracy and this false thinking and worldview? What are some practical things that you see successful? We run virtual book groups through the Center for Biblical Unity. That seems to be something that gets young people engaged. We have many young people sign up for our book groups. If people want to find out more, they can go on our website. We run book groups several times a year and we will read Christian books, but we also read the social justice books and talk about them 
through the lens of historic Christianity and where do we agree and where do we disagree? Really helping to disciple our young people, because here's the thing, your child will be discipled one way or the other. Right. Your child will either be discipled by TikTok or right. something like that, or you can step in as a parent and really be that voice to disciple them. And so biggest thing that we do actually is equip parents. That's right. really where, where we go is getting the parents equipped. We run online classes, virtual book groups. We write blogs. We have four podcasts. We work closely with our friends at Women in Apologetics. They do the Discipleship Begins at Home conference every mm-hmm. year to equip and train parents and empower them to disciple their kids. Because big picture, we see that that's really where it has to start is getting parents to understand that they ought to be the primary people, the primary voices in their child's life to disciple them and to really be in that process with them daily. As far as talking to young people directly, we do a lot of youth conferences. Monique last year was on the reality tour. As you said, we did the summit conference there in Bend a few months ago. Uh, We're starting to work with Summit Ministries now and their worldview training. And so young people are very open and able to have this conversation because this is their everyday life. Adults can kind of escape it and insulate themselves from it. Young people don't have that ability. They Mm. know that this is their everyday life and they want Mm. answers. You know, when we do a training on Crash Course on Critical Race Theory, to 16, 17-year-olds, they're tracking with us. They're like, yeah, this explains a lot. And they're willing to have the discussion. So that's some of what we do. We have a relationship with Impact 360. We Mm. go there two times a year. It's another worldview program. So we're out there trying to talk to young people and get those discussions going. There's a big homeschool contingency across Oregon, especially in the Portland area. And especially with COVID, the homeschooling has tripled, quadrupled. It's a huge, huge growth in homeschooling. And so when Hillary Morgan Ferrer, I don't know if you guys work with Mama Bear Apologetics, when her book came out a couple of years ago, you'd go to a, a coffee shop where there was Christians and there'd be three or four copies out across the coffee shop of homeschool moms just devouring this Mama Bear Apologetics Because they're like, finally, I felt like I was missing something in discipling my kids, but I didn't know how. One-on-one discipleship, one-on-a-couple of discipleship. You know, the conferences are great to kick something off, but what we found, our kids are hungry. I love what you said about the book groups where they're like, I want to dig in. I had to read this book at school, and the whole time I was reading it, something felt wrong, but I didn't know what. Can you read the book with me? and show me where these deceptive presuppositions are coming in, these false foundations. Yeah, I think equipping our young people to really think and sort these things out, Christian young people in particular, the more that we can do to marshal resources through the church, through the parents, everything to help them understand the Bible, the better. The really critical piece is that most young people have not actually read the Bible. They've grown up in an age where there's just decontextualized verses that are flashed up on a screen right. uh, during a sermon. Right. But 
they actually have not read the Bible. Right. And this biggest problem, in my opinion. What has been the most successful approach to getting young people to actually read the Bible? We work with a ministry called The Next Generation Ministries with my friend Jeremy Bannister, and he has a whole program that he gives away for free to Mm. Christian parents. It's a Bible reading program. Jeremy has been a pastor for over 20 years at the same church Mm. in Mexico. He started out as a youth pastor, and he he went to all the youth pastor conferences. He did all the youth pastor typical things, and he saw these horrible attrition rates of Mm -hmm. youth leaving the faith after they left high school. And he's like, I cannot continue. This is not sustainable where I am pouring myself (laughs) all of these youth and then they're deconstructing. And he was trying different things. He tried apologetics. Then what he started doing was he got all the parents together and he said, I am no longer going to disciple your children. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to train you to disciple your children. I will empower you to disciple your children. And so he's built a program where he equips and trains parents to disciple their own children. The child reads through the entire Bible four times. By the time they finish junior high, they will have read through the entire Bible four times. And then they read it through a few more times in high school. It has stopped the bleeding of the Mm -hmm. attrition rates in his church when he turned this around. And so he said the problem with apologetics that he found was when he was trying to teach the youth apologetics was that they didn't have enough Bible knowledge to even really have an appreciation for the arguments. So he said they were still leaning on my faith. And so they were still like, Mm. kind of wanting me to still answer all their questions. They didn't know how to go in the Bible and look. They didn't have the big picture of what the Bible was even really about. So teaching them these apologetics arguments, he says, I realize that I had the Bible in my background, so I knew where to stick the apologetics arguments. I knew what they were. My students didn't have that. And he said, so even teaching them apologetics in the long run, it wasn't slowing down my attrition rates. When he started this Bible reading plan and he Mm. started having workshops quarterly at his church to equip and train the parents and changing the culture, that's the only thing that I have found from somebody who's working hard in a ministry, has a time-tested model, and Mm. now he's like starting to enter into the second generation. I've got him connected with women in apologetics, and they're doing the Discipleship Begins at Home conference. But he makes his blueprint for parents and his Bible reading plan, according to ages, uh, free on his website. And I believe his website is the next... It's either next gen or next generation, but you can find it if you see Jeremy Bannister. That's really the only thing that I've seen work is getting young people to start reading their Bibles. Because I can tell when I'm Mm. talking to a young person who's actually read the Bible, there is a world of difference between that young person and a person who's just grown up in a Christian home. Well, Krista, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. I've been jotting notes just for myself down like crazy. There's so many helpful resources and so much great, rich information. 
Uh, people can find this if they just go to Center for Biblical Unity. Is that your website? Yeah, centerforbiblicalunity.com. And then all of these awesome resources from there. Thank yep. you again so much. This has been fascinating and so helpful. I'm sure we will be crossing paths in the future. It's my pleasure, Roy. Thanks for having me. Now, how about you? Have you been deceived by the counterfeit of CRT? Have you failed to recognize it for what it is, which is a competing gospel to the story of Jesus Christ? I want to encourage you to think deeply, to demand consistency and coherency in your mind and how you think about the world. In short, I want you to think biblically about not only CRT, but everything. You can visit our website at theambassadorsforum.com to check out some of our helpful resources and see some of the local events that we're doing to help equip Christians to better understand and defend their faith. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.